0: Every time I, I see someone on stage that has a mug filled with coffee, I'm like, they're so cozy up there. Does it look like I'm cozy? It does? A little bit? Okay. Sibbit, <laughs> it's, it's cold, kind of. I realize I don't have anything to put it on, so it kind of defeats the purpose, all right. I don't do this. Oh man. Well, hey, something that uh, is happening next week at worship night that is gonna be really cool um and this is an announcement kind of two for those who go to orient or if you're interested next week we actually have a guest speaker who's uh, going to be leading our worship night and she is awesome um she is the daughter of a very famous well-known pastor from california um the pastor his name is dave gibbons and he's actually speaking at orient campus uh midweek next wednesday so if you want to get a lot of church in you want to get a lot of jesus time in uh, i encourage it go to saturday night worship uh at your campus for a campus night, and then go to midweek at Orion, hear Dave Gibbons talk, um, he has absolutely revolutionized my life as a way it comes to seeing people and loving people, and so his daughter is coming with him, and she is a young adult, and she is uh, just, I mean, real honest, and she has so much wisdom and knowledge, and Dave just speaks unbelievably highly of her, like she's just the most intelligent person, so she's going to be leading our time, I'm very excited, so um, for all the ladies in the house, maybe you want to bring a, a lady friend, or uh, one of your gal pals, and, uh, and come and come and hear, hear, a, hear a woman of, of, of really great influence come and, and bring the heat uh, next Thursday. So come on out. It's going to be really amazing. I'm really excited for it. Um, but, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited. And, too, even if you're kind of uh, on the fence about whether or not you want to go to Rise or Treat, uh, my encouragement is that it's an experience and a time for you to actually get away and focus on a relationship, your relationship with God or exploring your faith, uh, for some of us in here, I don't—I never assume that everyone in here has a strong relationship with Jesus. I never assume that anyone in here is deep in your faith. I know some, I meet tons of people every single week who they're just maybe beginning to get back into their faith or they have no faith background. And so really, it's a time for you to carve it out to really do business with God, to have friendships that go deeper. Um, you have a weird ulterior motive that hopefully you're going to meet your spouse, but you try to ignore it. It might happen, though. Um, so that—so so my hope is, is that you come on to Rise Retreat. And you find Jesus in the process of trying to stuff down that ulterior motive, and it's gonna be good. One more thing, too, is uh, we actually are starting kind of like a podcast. We're, we're trying to get our content. Everyone's always asking for our messages. So uh, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about how to find your identity in romance. And we have that one posted. It's, we have a SoundCloud. Um, we're looking into a podcast, but we will post a link to the SoundCloud on our Facebook page. Um, we have a group that's private, but we can just kind of shoot it out everywhere on our on our social media. You can go back and listen to it, and you know, I don't know, write down some of the zingers. Yes. Hey, let's go. So it'll be on Apple Podcast for all you podcast junkies. Cool. Very good. Well, hey, uh, I'm I'm really excited tonight. Um, I'm, I usually, um, you know, usually you come. I come in and I feel like, I'm like, man, how can we excite the troops? How can, how can we rally everyone? How can we all be more excited about our faith and journey? But every once in a while, there comes something that I feel like is unique to our community. That's unique to 1829 that I feel like, uh, really kind of, uh, burdens my heart and makes me burn for, for, for all of us. Uh, because if, if, if you're feeling it and I'm feeling that you're feeling it, it's something that I want to talk about. So tonight I'm actually going to have, uh, what we call here at 1829, a family chat night. Oh yeah. It's going down now. There was a family chat night about four months ago. and I promise, guys, you're safe tonight. This is not where this is going. I wanted to redeem the family chat. So the family chat is not confrontational, I promise. It's a good family chat. Hopefully it's a family chat full of uh, realness, authenticity, and vulnerability. Uh, and specifically, it comes out of a place where I've realized so many uh 1829ers many of you guys i've I've just like i I hear so much about what you're journeying through i hear so much about what your struggles are i hear so much about how you maybe you didn't feel welcomed you didn't feel connected you you feel stuck in your relationship with god and really the thing that the, the the area that i've noticed i've been hearing so many people come and talk to me is that so many people feel like in their relationship with god specifically spiritually speaking i've noticed i've had a lot of people come to me and feel like they're just drifting in their faith and they feel spiritually blocked. That um, they have a one thing, a one major thing in their life that is hindering them from a, a real relationship with Christ. It's robbing them of life. It's actually making them go numb and they can't really hear or experience God. And I think there's some of us, maybe if you don't have a faith, a deep faith, where you've been coming to 1829 and you just have not had that experience with Jesus yet. You've not heard God's voice. You've not felt him become powerful in your life. And there's some of us who maybe we've been trying to seek him and we can't help but feel like God isn't showing up the way that we feel like he should be showing up. And so tonight's talk I'm calling, This is for Freedom. Or as uh, Mel Gibson would say, This is for Freedom. Tonight is for... (laughs) I like that. That's good. But tonight is for Freedom. Because I think many of us, whether we would like to admit it if we're really dishonest with ourselves, I mean, man, I I think about this and I think about my life and it's like, I don't want to say this. I think there's some of us who we're too afraid to say in our hearts or out loud to people that we know or love or in our small groups and be like, I just don't love Jesus right now. I am not loving Jesus right now. I'm not in a good place. I'm not really hearing God. I'm not connecting with Him. In fact, I've been feeling this way for two years. I've been feeling this way for three years. Or maybe it's in the past six months. Or there was an event that came and crashed into my life. And you're just not feeling him. You're not feeling an experience with God anymore. And so usually like I love to come in here. I love to have fun. It's like one of my the, the, the joys and delights and honors of my heart I'm trying to make everyone laugh, have a good time, right? Because we all need a little more joy in our life. But I think tonight I'm like, man, man, all of us are out there drifting in life and we need to have a real moment. We need to have an authentic moment. We need to have a an an honest and and kind of vulnerable session with ourselves and with the people that we love about what's going on. So I kind of want, I was like, man, I guess I'm going to go first. Um, today at Kensington, we had one of our, our main leaders was just unbelievably raw and vulnerable. And I was like, I already knew that this talk was coming tonight. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is such a confirmation from, from God that this is something that I feel like needs to be had. But, uh, earlier, um, or the, I would say for the past few months, um, I've, I've been really blessed. I love what I do. Just this past week, I got a five-year anniversary card from Kensington saying, hey, you've been working here for five years, and I could have never imagined in my wildest dreams or hopes that I'd, this would be my five-year plan at any point in my life. And I've had a lot of amazing opportunities, and I don't say this from a bragging perspective. I say this um, just from a complete, utter shock and awe of what God is doing, um, just, just what he does with people, and what I believe he's going to do in your life, too, if you, if you if you allow him to move. But well, I've had the blessing of being able to speak on some of our stages and to do weekends at some of our campuses. It's been super fun to be able to, to speak out of the voice that I feel like God has given me in, in my life. Um, but because you do this, um, you have people who are pastors or, or around Kensington. Uh, they give you critiques. They want to make you better and sharpen you. And uh, so there's two, two guys around here who I really respect and love who they believe in me. They're, they're like, man, this is what you've been created to do. And all these things are just super encouraging. And they were giving me a formal critique, and they were super urgent to get this on the calendar. And I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of like one of those things you're not looking forward to, but you kind of accept it. And also, too, you're already, you're already critical of yourself, and so who cares? And so I showed up to this critique meeting, and they're beginning to be like, man, like we believe in you. And they're like, and it was kind of one of these things where they were like, uh, you know, we just pray that something like really fruitful comes from this. And though it's not fun, and I'm like, oh no, this is not going to a good place, I don't like this. Oh no. And sure enough, I kind of started talking. I'm like, oh man, there's an elephant. I'm, I'm really interested to see what it's going to be. And these guys would know me. They believed in me. And sure enough they kind of talked to like, Drew, man, you're just, I mean, you got this going on. Like, this is so great in spades. You know, here's some things that you can do, but here's what I've realized. And so this is kind of how one of the, the pieces of feedback came. And, and it was like, this It was like, man, you know, when I think about certain musicians, they come into a room and they, they adjust to the room and the size of, of the room and they're able to do this. And you're so, sh- you're so smart and you're sharp. You're able to do this. You're able to come in and know your environment or whatever. But here's something I've kind of noticed in you. Is that recently, I feel like because I know you and I know your heart, I feel like I've seen you begin to perform more. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Thank you. And he's like, and it was in the, it, once again, it was in that heart of like, I know you. I know that you don't do this, and I'm starting to see this in you. And it was this moment where, you know, it's it sucks to hear a piece of feedback like that. And I kind of responded back, going even a step further of saying, you know what, uh, you know, and, and before anyone comes in here and, you know, if you're a fan, if you like me or whatever, and you're you're my boy, and you're like, yo, dude, I'll break, yo, where are he at? I'm gonna break his legs. Like before, before you do that. I think I think when it comes to, to to faith and life, I think all of us are really good at performing, and I think especially when it comes, and here's why I think it even happens and, and it happens to me, is because I think as Christians, it's the easiest to perform. As if for Christians, we become a collection of other people's expectations, and that's what one of my mentors said. He was like, "Man, you don't be, they'll become a collection of what." you feel like other people expect of you when that's not who you really are. That you can be powerful, that you can be bold. You don't have to perform for people. You have to be someone that you're not. And I think for so many of us, we perform. And for some of us, we're not honest that we really just don't love Jesus right now, that we're really not walking with God, that there's a huge part of blockage. And it was, it for me, and, and I'll go into my story, because I've shared some of this, and if you know me, but I feel like we have so many new folks that I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit to part of my story so you can hear where I'm coming from. But um, uh, for me, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a step further. It's like, yeah, like, I, I understand. Like, it's, it's so easy for, for me, anyone, but to, to perform on stage, it can be really easy for me to do. But I'll take a step further is that I sometimes feel in my life like I'm just performing. And I feel like sometimes, like, the – the person who I want everyone to see is not actually the person who's behind the scenes. And I'm afraid for my future because I don't want to get caught up in that. And that's one of my deepest fears. And so I think for some of us, well, kind of coming back, the reason why I think this is one of my, my, my greatest fears is for what I've been sharing kind of, and I want to let you into my, what I'm calling my inner courts. In the Old Testament, there was the temple of God and they had what was called the outer courts Whereas the whole crowd and everyone could come and worship God, they have the inner courts were only select people who are clean and priests could come in, give sacrifices and worship. And then there's the place called the Holy of Holies, where only one priest would go in once a year to offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of all people. So I wanna invite you in, and all of us have this. You have a lot of people on our outer courts who gets to see you being on stage or being an influencer in your workplace or your, your, your school. Like, a lot of people come to the outer courts of your life, but I want to invite you to the inner courts. The holies of holies is reserved for the people, like my wife. Only she can go to the holy of holies. <laughs> right. Um, when I was 14, I gave my life to Jesus uh, f- for real. And it was in a big stadium, and I shouted, at, I want the cross. It was amazing. And uh, and uh, and I did it the exact same time as my identical twin brother. And I was like, of course, I can't even have my own salvation. Um And so that kind of started my journey. I had a a really amazing youth pastor who just poured into us spiritually. Um, And and one of the the, the biggest problems for me when it came to my faith was that when I was like 11 or 12, or I think uh, eighth grade, I don't know how old I was, um, like a lot of young guys, you go to a friend's house and you see images of of pornography or you, you, you pick up lust habits. And so for me, from an early age, that was something that really began to manifest in my life. And for me, uh, wanting to follow Jesus, I wanted to get freedom from that, and it didn't matter um, how uh, you know. Many times, I rededicated my life to Christ the second and a third time. Um, you know, I had my seventh and eighth and twentieth accountability partner, and after I was baptized six, to- six times, like, you kind of kind of this place where you're realizing that it's not just some magic moment that you can just get freed from an addiction like that. And so, even for many years of my life, it became this it was the first time that I doubted God that he could actually provide or give freedom just out of his hand. And I think many guys and even girls can identify with maybe that specific example. And that became my one thing and so then when i went to college and, and it's it's lucky even just through marriage it's been like the lord worked on my heart on that and having to have high, high amounts of accountability so even in that there's been a lot more there's been tons of freedom from from a lot of that but it was such a journey of uh, it was the beginning of the lie that god doesn't really want give freedom to people who ask for it or who try who, who or who intend to, to really surrender and give it up or who do really well so when i got got to college um, i was involved in a ministry um, called crew at michigan state and people, they would uh, 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 share Jesus with, people, with their friends. They would b- disciple the, their, their peers. And for me, I was at this place where I loved the normal church thing, but I wanted a real experience with God. I was hungry for that. Because I wanted just more proof that what I was doing was legitimate. And if I could have more proof, then I could share with the world this God that I had found. And I'd only gotten these snippets and these pieces and these moments where God felt so real and I experienced them so powerfully. But yet what I was really hungry for was the way that it should be. The way that God should be interacting with us. That he should be continually speaking to us. That he should be um, constantly up. Uh, uh, communicating with us and then we should be able to experience real freedom real joy to feel god all the time that it'd be a great experience and so my junior year of college i interacted with um a lot of i, I met a lot of new friends who belonged to more denominations that really believe that god spoke very clearly and passionately and i loved it and even to this day i still i still love kind of this uh, idea and thinking but what began to happen was, because I was so desperate and hungry for the real experience of God and to hear his voice, um, some of my friends would come up to me and say, like, hey, I was just spending time with God, and he wanted me to tell you something, and they'd lay out something. And I was like, oh, my gosh, God said that to you? And I was like, no way. Like, God himself, he's, he was talk, he, he said that to you, to me. And I get more and more and more, and I kind of realized that even I was trying to get that for other people. And it kind of turned into this thing for me Whereas I, I felt like God was in it. But at the same time, I couldn't still discern even some of the things that were said to me of whether or not they were true because some things wouldn't happen and some things were kind of off. And then I kind of learned that not everything was always right. And it's really just this practice and this process of trying to hear God's voice. And I understand a lot more of this now. But at the time, it was devastating because I really believed with everything in me that I could really communicate and hear God's voice. And then by the time I was a senior, I actually kind of drifted a little bit on my faith, and I've mentioned this, but I actually became kind of like an atheist when I was 20, 21 years old, because for me, I, I actually, uh, I, I, I had questions, and I, I learned critically about the Bible and began to really study it in depth in a new way that I had before, and I saw all of the problems, all of the discrepancies, all of the things that didn't seem to make sense anymore, all the questions that everyone always asks about Christianity who don't believe, all of a sudden made sense to me because I felt that way. I felt that way in my heart and it didn't make sense to me of of why God would allow certain things and why he wouldn't and why he wouldn't speak commonly to people. And I think for all of us, we have a one thing or a few things or an event or an issue or an addiction, a one thing that you fear you will never get freedom from. Whether for you or you're a gal or a girl or a guy in here and you're actually struggling with issues of lust and pornography and you've tried eight and nine and seven times, or if you're a guy in here and you've been struggling for a long time, that even right now, this is just another example of a pastor who's flying by it, and a message is an example and you don't really believe that you can actually get freedom from it. Or maybe for you it's not so much of that, but maybe for you it's actually having relationship contentment. When it comes to your romantic life, you can't seem to find contentment. Like if you're single, you have the sickness of singleness and no matter how much YouTube videos you watch or spiritual podcasts about what kind of spiritual godly man you need to find, it doesn't matter how much research you do or how much advice you try to get, you just cannot be content in your your, your relationship contentment because a part of you cannot help but feel like your worth will be found in someone else. And guess what? There's a truth to that. You will feel some of those emotions when you meet a person. And you can't help it long after that. Or maybe you are you have been in relationships that broke your trust completely. And so now you're looking at relationships and you're terrified of them because they, they damaged your trust bank. You have no money from your trust bank to even give to anyone else. So you're writing checks to other people that can't be cashed. And so now your struggle is still in relationship contentment, even if you are in a, in a relationship. Or maybe you're in a marriage, and you never thought that you'd be so disappointed, or you never thought you'd be so angry, or you never thought that you'd be so unfulfilled or unsatisfied, or maybe you're dating someone who you know is the one, and you've been together for one or two years or whatever, and you never thought that the reality was really like this, and everyone told you that it would be, but you still feel like, how could this be possible? This is not the what, the way that it should be. Or maybe for you, it's not relationship contentment. Maybe for you, it's actually depression and anxiety. And there's some pastor at a conference, comes into a night, does church, and says, I feel like God's healing depression in the room tonight, and Jesus is going to break chains. And more importantly, you believed it, and you felt it, and then nothing changed. Or you've believed in faith that God would heal you or remove it from your life, and that he would take the thorn right out, but yet you just can't because it's been 8 9 10 11 times 12 12 20 times now and and then you're realizing hold on this is a sickness that i possess and i just want to encourage you actually in december we're going to do a whole series on on mental health and it's it's not going to be about how to to fix not how to get better it's just about how to how to cope how to how to understand because guess what all of us are on a spectrum where, where our mental health is just as important as our physical health. And when we have physical issues, even if we get like severely hurt, we go to a hospital. But yet when we have mental issues or anxiety, we just think it's common and everyone goes through it. When so many of us, we fall on the spectrum. And so it's all about how to, to have grace and to love ourselves through it and to accept ourselves. And not to judge each other for what we're going through. So that's going to happen in December. Or maybe for you, it's kind of like me and your story is faith. And you feel like no matter what, you, you believe that God should act a certain way and you've put your identity in being a Christian, you put your identity, and I don't mean your identity in Christ, I mean your identity in being a Christ follower, like you've been at conferences, you've been at nights, you have been in the hamster wheel of Christianity, and you just have issues with God right now, because you're just like, man, I just don't believe it. And so now, our hope, um, or rather our obsession, turns into, when it comes to our, our issues with God, or even with the world, it turns into what it should look like. And this will be kind of comforting if you're. Uh, this is this is something that's called apologetics. Um, if you're an apologetics fan, for me, one of the questions I asked was like, "Why would God allow human suffering?" And the answer that I always heard, when you re- if you're really brainy like me and you like hearing these answers, like, "Well, why would God allow evil in a in a broken world that seems pretty pretty ruthless of a loving and benevolent and perfect God to do this to humanity?" And of course, the only logical conclusion that Christian thinkers and philosophers have ever come to is the one that says, well, if if everyone just loved God and was perfect, then that really isn't the essence of what love really is. So in order for, for love to be love, love has to be given a choice. And love has to be contrasted against hate and darkness and evil. And so God wanted something from his image bearers who he created in his image and likeness that he couldn't just get from rocks and angels and heavenly hosts and... Uh, the mountains and the seas he wanted someone something like him to choose to love him, even when they had every reason not to and then that's really what love is and it it, it's almost like that's that's what god wanted and i'm not talking about salvation i'm not saying because we know that i just have to (coughs) i just gotta do my theology jump through hoops to make sure everyone thinks i'm doctrinally sound (coughs) but it's i'm not talking about salvation i'm not saying that you, we, we earn our way through our works or our love to Jesus, but rather it's actually the opposite. If you, if you know our God, it's, it's, it's this, is that it is by grace that you have been saved, not by our works. Meaning I don't do anything to earn my salvation into heaven to be with God. Rather, it's God saving of me, me giving my life to Jesus, and now I inherit Jesus' perfect life. And God will view me like Jesus, and that is my response of love and obedience that allows me to then go and do good things. That's the gospel of Jesus. What I am saying, though, is in this world, we are given what feels like this choice to love God, to seek him. Even in scriptures, if you seek me, you will find me. We're in this mystery where we constantly are pursuing the hidden God. And I think for many of us, when 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 you actually go through this pain or when you actually experience it or you know someone who experiences real-life pain, um, it's, it's no longer a question that needs an answer. It's an experience that needs a reason. All of a sudden pain doesn't just become a conversation where you have an answer. Well, God wanted people to love him. It's no, I need a reason to believe this now because I experienced something that emotionally feels like that's not true. And in fact, um, I think many of us, we want to know that God has a higher purpose that will benefit us more than if we didn't go through it. We want to believe that. We want to make sense of it and look backwards and say, that was the very reason why God allowed that in my life. But for me, I can't help but think sometimes, well, is there really a better benefit to being broken? Is there really a better benefit? I mean, really, like for me, I felt like I experienced just that very version of pain and not everyone goes through that, but it was my version and it hurt in my way. And I think about it like this, I have a buddy who lives out in Seattle, and his, de- his parents were able to pay for all of his college, and he has a full-time job working in business just making money. And I went to Michigan State, go green, and I felt, and I felt like, well, if I have debt, that will teach me the value of money, and because I have debt, it will actually make me further ahead than people who just had things handed to them. But that's not true. Because he's over here, he's got no debt, he's setting up his life, he's setting up his future, he's building the 401K, he's setting up his future kids' generations, and I'm over here, freaking ramen noodles at 22. And it's like, I think for some of us, it's like really, the depression in my life is supposed to benefit me more because I have it. Now it's there's a better reason for me to have it than if I didn't have it. And I know that not everyone feels it that way because some of us, we don't, I know. But I say that because I did. And I get that. That's my burn. Because I know what it's like to wonder why God would ever put something in your life to begin with or why would he, he would ever allow or do the things that he does. And for some of us, when it comes to freedom, we end up hoping that we just fall into freedom. We hope that we fall into freedom. But freedom is something that we know that we have to fight for, not fall into. The only thing that we fall into is fear of trying to get freedom. You only fall into a greater place of anxiety. You only fall. You only drift away from God. No one just drifts towards God. No one just drifts towards freedom. You have to fight for it. All of freedom is upstream and uphill. In fact, I think about freedom for the context of all of the world. Physical freedom for for people groups is one thing that people are actually willing to die for, meaning there's something so horrific about captivity and oppression that death is a better option than slavery is. And for many of us, We fear the cost of freedom more than we fear being in slavery. We're more afraid to try to get free than we are to actually end our current situation. And slavery always happens when we are not in control of our lives, but our lives are in control of us. It's no longer Drew that's controlling my life and is, is, is telling my life the freedom that it has in making my own destiny. My life, my addiction, my habit, my doubt, the depression, the anxiety is controlling my life. I'm reacting and responding to my circumstance in my life, and that is slavery. And so we don't feel like we're in a place of freedom. In fact, I would say, of course we are afraid of permanent slavery, but we're still hoping to fall into freedom. But I love Rachel Hollis, she says it this way, hope is not a strategy. You cannot hope your way into freedom. Meaning this, our intentions never dictate our direction in life. Our action dictates our direction in life. Our our intentions never get us to our destination. Our actions get us to our destination. And fights, I I can't stand it when people say, man, well, I mean I, and they're saying it from a place of just being angry and upset. Man, well, I didn't mean to hurt that person's feelings. Nobody means to hurt someone's feelings. Your intentions don't erase the fact that it happened. Your actions do. Freedom is something that we fight for instead of fall into. And so if people are willing to die for freedom, And we know the benefit and we know the true life and peace that actually comes when we have freedom because many of us have experienced true freedom in our lives, whether it's with God or in our life or situational, how come we underestimate its value? And I think it's this, because now more than ever, we don't actually believe that freedom exists and is possible for our circumstance or situation because freedom failed us too many times before. We feel like freedom should be continual Freedom would be accessible. Freedom would give us control, that we should actually be free from failure. And it felt like freedom actually failed to deliver on its own job description. Isn't the point of freedom to be free? (laughs) Like to not have to worry about that thing? I shouldn't have to fail at that anymore? And so many of us, we've actually shortchanged freedom to be a category of desire in our lives instead of a category of something that's a reality that we could pursue. It's interesting when you actually look in the Bible, though, and this is what's fascinating, and maybe you didn't know this, but the Bible talks about freedom much differently than just freeing yourself from failure. In fact, the Bible actually only talks about freedom mainly in two different ways when it comes to the New Testament. The first one, it talks about freedom, not, oh, hey, be perfect, you're never going to struggle struggle again in this issue. It says uh, that the Bible and the New Testament letters and documents were written to an audience of people in a real time, in a real place. And so Paul, who's an apostle who gives his life to Jesus after hating Christians, he talks about freedom, about how you're free from having to be a part of the old covenant. And so one of the verses says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, what's a yoke of slavery? In ancient times, a yoke was actually a device that was placed on oxen to guide it while I was doing its work. And so a yoke was synonymous in the ancient world with a teaching. So you put a teaching, you'd obey a a series of teachings from a rabbi, and that would guide your life. Because a a yoke or a teaching was all about your behavior and what you do, not necessarily what you feel and what you experience. It's about your behavior and the way of life that you're going to live. So what he's saying is it's for freedom that Christ has set us free from having to be a part of the old covenant as paul is speaking to people who were jewish or, or sorry who were who are who didn't follow the law but were trying to get convinced that they should be following the old covenant again in fact we know this because paul goes on to talk about circumcision for the next few verses and we love to put this verse in our gym locker rooms and you know with pictures i don't know inspirational posters or memes so freedom that christ has set me free and i'm just the daughter of the king and like i'm free in his eyes and But but then you didn't put the part about circumcision in there. Kind of weird. Okay. It's that weird. And he's saying, like, no, you don't have to follow circumcision. And it comes to the point in verse 6, and this is where we kind of picked this up. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And Paul actually says it's completely different, that freedom or or finding having freedom in Christ is this. That the only thing that counts— The only thing that matters is not obeying the old covenant. The only thing that counts in Jesus's new way of teaching, the only thing that counts that Jesus taught on the earth is faith expressing itself through love. Because Jesus's great two commandments was not to remove the law, but to fulfill the law and say that the greatest two commandments is to love God and to love others. In fact, all of the law and the prophet hangs on these two. And so the only thing that matters is faith. That's expressed through love of other people and love of God. In fact, Paul actually, he, he says this flat out in the verses to come because he talks about, it. he's like, so, so I say, walk by the spirit of God. Do not walk by the flesh. He says, do not use your freedom, your newfound freedom of the way that Jesus has given you life to not to, to do rules or to be perfect anymore. Use your new freedom not to indulge in the flesh. And when he says flesh, he gives a description. He says, because the flesh is obvious. And he gives this list and he says, it's sexu- sexual immorality, drunkenness, orgies, and all these weird things. And it's like, of course, of course, these are all things that could cause division in my relationships with my brothers and sisters and my heavenly father. He says, so So, so don't indulge the fresh flesh anymore because you have freedom. Rather, the fruit of the spirit by walking with him is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and kindness. So what Paul is saying is that your freedom in christ biblically is not about having to be perfect let me put it this way freedom is not the absence of failure freedom is the presence of life of walking in the spirit of saying i'm gonna i'm gonna out of the overflow of my heart it will manifest love joy peace patience kindness and gentleness now of course there's a freedom from behavior and addiction i understand that i actually believe that god can do that i had a roommate and i don't want to get into the story because it's might not be for this context but i i I saw one of my roommates get miraculously healed of a degenerative degenerative disease before my eyes and it was medically uh shown and i was blown away And, and i've seen moments where i believe that god has set people free from things in a permanent way, and I don't have the answer for why God would do it in certain places or others, and I don't believe that some people's prayers are better than others. I don't understand why God does the things that he does. What I can say though is, maybe for you, it's not about trying to achieve the freedom from failure. It's about trying to achieve the freedom that brings life to your soul by making peace with God, by accepting where you are and who you are, because the Bible, the second category of freedom, and this is the one that's a little bit more confusing for us, is that it talks about how we are free from the overall curse of sin. And it talks about, and Paul, the same author, he talks about, you know, freedom. Like, you are no longer a slave to sinful ways. You're no longer in bondage to it. And what he's meaning is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he, because he rose from death, he broke the curse of sin. So that in heaven, if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you now receive that same broken curse and you have freedom from sin so now I will not get punished for my sin because that's been broken off of me but now God will look at me and he will see me as righteous and there's something that happens because God's Holy Spirit now is entered into my heart and it will transform me and out of the manifestation of the presence of God inside of me now I can then become a slave to his righteousness And that's maybe what some of us have experienced. Maybe when you fully gave your, and maybe you remember this, you you fully gave your life to Jesus and your life changed. It transformed. And while you still don't feel like you have freedom now, you know that you are free compared to where you used to be. And that's actually another encouragement that for some of us in here, maybe you haven't made that full decision yet. And you haven't been able to experience the changing power of making peace with God. And that in and of itself is a freedom because you resurrendered or you surrender for the first time. In fact, here's, here's a better one for you, is that there's actually a definition of, of what God's antidote to the mystery and the question is. And it's the worst antidote in the world. In fact, I actually hate it. This has been a number one struggle for me. I was talking with a young adult who um, had all these questions about the Bible, and he uh, emailed me, he met up with me, and he was frustrated, and he's he's pounding me with questions, that, and he's way smarter than I was. And some of the questions I had, and I'm like, bro, this is so over my head. And he told me the story, and I'll never forget it, because I think that this is sometimes how some of us uh, view view this word, is that there there was, um, he said, I went into a, a, a small group, and a pastor was there and I, I blitzed him with questions and I was respectful and I was kind, but I just don't understand why God got everything. And got, the guy doesn't respond to anything. This is what he does. He stands up, he walks over to the board behind him and he writes F-A-I-T-H. And the kid was like, all right, dude, cool. And he never went back. It's because for some of us, who have pain in our lives, that doesn't do it. Can I be honest about that? Can I say that? Does that make me love Jesus less? (laughs) But for some of us, it's deeper than that. Because that is the area that we are struggling with, and we have questions, or we have doubts. And just simply having faith, trusting that God is going to do it, isn't cutting it for us. And it's answers like that that actually want to keep us from freedom because we don't actually believe the solution to our problems is actually making peace with our Heavenly Father over it. So there's a word, and this word actually gets defined in Scripture, and maybe you've never seen this kind of passage like this before. It's it's, it's in the book of Hebrews, and the author says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I hate this verse. I wish it wasn't in the Bible. (laughs) But it says it's the assurance, meaning that in a sense of confidence, of believing that something is going to happen. The faith is, in fact, a feeling of some sort of certainty. That if you have a desired outcome that would glorify God and benefit yourself or others, that the faith is the feeling of certainty or confidence that he will do it. In fact, it continues on, it says, faith is the evidence. Oh, it's using our favorite 21st century word, evidence of things not seen. And it says not seen. When you look at this passage, we actually learn what not seen means. Not seen doesn't just mean invisible spiritual realm. According to what comes next in the passage, not seen actually means for events that have not yet come to pass. The faith is an actual deposit from God or something that is a deposit of evidence that what we believe God could do will come to pass. Does that make sense? But here's what happens in the next passage, because this is literally contradictory. Don't ask me why or how this happens. Because then the passage, it goes on to list eight biblical examples of people who had faith in their life and how it was their act of faith for which they are commemorated for in all of Scripture. Here here they are. Abel, he brought an acceptable gift to God, and it was giving faith that he was righteous. Noah obeyed God by building an ark, and it was credited his faith as righteousness. Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son, and his righteousness was credited as faith. Sarah believed God's promise that she would have a son, and she had a son at 99. Joseph had faith that Israel would leave Egypt and that his bones would be taken with them. Moses, by faith, decided to be a Hebrew, but not, and so he wouldn't be in Pharaoh's household. That Israel marched around Jericho. And faith believing that God would provide. And then Rahab, who is a prostitute in Jericho, by faith, hid friendly spies and was saved. And then the passage takes a turn because it says this that not everyone who had faith actually saw the things come to pass. What? So faith means that something will come to pass. And these people had faith, and they never saw what come, came to pass here's the thing, something never comes to pass. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It actually goes even a step further in the verse. It's like in some, man, some were persecuted, some were tortured, some were sawed in two. And I think the reality of the situation is, I don't know whether God will give us the exact freedom that we are looking for. I'm going to have faith that he can, that he will, but even if he doesn't, the reality is, is that some of us could die tomorrow and we lived a whole life not getting freedom, even though we had faith. But I believe more than anything else that your defining moment of freedom will be in your defying moment of faith. That once again, freedom is not an absence of failure Freedom is the presence of choosing to have life and hoping and believing and fighting for the freedom that's in your life. That the greatest breakthrough will be in the moment that defies all logic, all sense, and all evidence. That if the collective universe has not, if you're a skeptic or an atheist and you question God, if the collective universe has collected a lot of evidence for God existing and has collected a lot of evidence against God existing, and Wikipedia still hasn't figured it out, you won't either. And we can investigate, and we should. But your defining moment of freedom will come in your defying moment that against all logic, against all sense, against your battle of your one thing that you can't get freedom from, it's to trust God that I'm going to choose to follow you anyways. I'm going to be like Rahab. I'm going to be like Abraham. Abraham who was called into a land that was foreign to himself and he had to leave his family and they have to step out into the mystery that God has you in and you have no idea because i believe that the whole purpose for what God is hidden the only thing that ever makes sense is that he doesn't want it to make sense said so he wants you to do it anyways He wants you to fight for freedom anyways. He wants you to choose him with a heart that is fully his. Even when you have no reason to do it. Even if you fail over and over again. That you gave it to him. That you gave him your life. You're like King David in the night sky. Where all you had was relationship. You didn't have any proof. You just had the God in the sky and the voice. It's all you have. And you have no reason to believe that God will ever heal you again. You have no reason to believe that God will ever take that from you again. But you choose to, anyways. That you step out in faith because He desires a heart that has no idea. And your defining moment of freedom will become the defying moment of your faith. And my fear is, is that many of us feel like we have graduated from having to give things up to God because we did it already and we experienced it already and we tried already. So I graduated from having to do that and I need something different that, I can, that, that will do it for me. And it was interesting last week when Cody Wilson spoke and he, he flew by the sentence that just so rocked me. He's like, man, someone's just going to give that thing up. And I just stuck with me. And, of course, if you were here last week, I came up, and I was like, man, that stuck out to me. I just want to say that some of you need to give that thing up. And it was crazy because I went out into the lobby after service, and I was talking to people, and they're like, man, you had to come up and say that, didn't you? <laughs> they're like, man, of course it's something that God's asking me to give up. Remember in high school when uh, when you graduated, you were you didn't have to – to, to, to live by the, the the time frame that school and, and adults did when you graduated from high school you know you didn't have to obey the rules of your parents' house when you graduated from college you finally got to get rid of academic standardized testing. And some of us because maybe we feel like we've tried or we've experienced freedom or because we've been deep in our faith or we've been trying for a long time to reconcile to God or to achieve freedom that somehow some way we've graduated but you can't graduate from having to give things up and surrender to God if you don't graduate experiencing pain and blockage in your life. And I think many of us have a freedom system that we believe that God should fall in line with. God, this is the way that it should be. Maybe if He took my system, then a lot of other people wouldn't have that problem. Maybe if, if you had my system, we could replace it with your system, because we say this is how it should be. For me, my system with God was always, you know what? I'm actually fine with experiencing the pain. I'm totally fine with hurting and, and all the nights where I'm, I'm, I'm mad or, or all, the, all the rejection or all the, the failure that I experience and I'm mad. I'm okay with feeling pain. I'm not okay with trying to figure out the silence that sometimes I hear. And for some of us, for me, I'm fine with pain. But maybe I'm just not fine with not hearing anything from God about it. Others of us, you might be fine with silence from God, but you're not okay with failure. Some of you might be okay with failure, and that doesn't have to be your sense of freedom. But you're not okay if God doesn't give you direction, and that's your system. And others of us, maybe you're fine if God never gives you a direction for what you need to do to get freedom, but you're not okay with having to feel and experience pain. But what if God had a different heart and idea and a different system that, of course, in his love and kindness as a father, he does not want any of us to experience this. But what if in his system, it's called the heart that chooses and to trust when it just doesn't know that many bad things happen to us? And Jesus says this that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so my hope and my invitation, I think, as in this family chat, when it comes to our uh, us, that this is us, you don't have to experience a blockage. You don't have to put the pressure on God to never let you fail again. And that you need to take control by giving up control. To take control of your freedom by fighting for it, by walking through the pain, by going at it with God, by not giving up until you hear, to not giving up. But at the same time, by giving up what you think is the right way. And maybe for you that requires investigation, and maybe for you you do need to have an intellectual component, I get that. But when you do, there will come a moment, a defying moment that you need to have to make peace with God again, because freedom is not the absence of failure. Freedom is not the absence of pain. Freedom is not just the absence of doubt and discouragement, but freedom is having life and the life comes from choosing to trust God anyways and to still have your questions and to still have your stuff and to still hope and believe and trust that God could give you freedom from failure, freedom from the thorn. But the freedom that you'll have when you make peace with God is far different from the freedom that you're expecting that he brings you because maybe he wants your trust and your decision and your loyalty. And I'll say this in the last verse. It says this. Because even, even Paul, same author, says this. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your, what? Your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. And Paul's talking about the teaching of Jesus. Give your life to me, and I'll give you life. Love me, and you'll love other people because you've loved me. That we love because he first loved us. And you can get free from the shame because now you can experience the love that he first gave you even in your failure and your regret and your shame and your unworthiness. Freedom is not the absence of failure, but it's the fullness of life. Would you pray with me? God, we just, uh, man, we come to you. And so much, for some of us, brokenheartedness, just, we don't like this direction. We don't like, for some of us, that you're asking for us to make peace with you and that you're preparing our hearts to make a decision or you're preparing our hearts to unblock this freedom because we're more afraid of the cost that freedom is going to give us than we are of the slavery and the bondage that we're currently in and we're inside of a jail cell and the doors open. But we were fed, at least in the jail cell. We didn't have to worry about getting hurt by other people and we locked our hearts inside of a box in the safe protection away from other people where no one could hurt us because we locked it away from you. It's absolutely impenetrable and nothing can touch it. God we unlock the box we've placed our heart in. We unlock our choice to follow you in faith. hope and believe that God you can and you will, and even if you don't, you're still worthy. And there's something about you that brings us life more than bringing slavery to our issues. And we don't have to drift. We don't have to over hope in a person or a program or a church but that we can do our business with you. In your name, amen.